Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Before we get into it, can you take out your phones for those who don't already have them out? Sorry, that's a youth joke. That's, that's probably maybe a little bit more for all the students. Um, take out your alarm, your alarm thing, the one that you hit, throw across the room when it goes off, you set with the best of intentions, and in the morning you cast the demon out when it goes off. Um, if you're like me, I need to schedule things that matter to me, schedule my values and reminders. Um, the Bible says to pray for your pastors. And what I'd like to do, if you take out your phone, everyone's going to have a different time. I'd love for you to set a reminder daily to pray for Pastor Craig and Shannon when they're gone. That's the Bible thing to do. The Bible says pray for your pastors. It's not a suggestion, not a good option. It's a command to pray for those who overlook that your spiritual wellness and goodness. And, and I want you to take it out. Set a, set a reminder. It could be five minutes sometimes. could be longer, wherever it's going to work for you just to keep them in front of mind and be praying for them. And I want you to pray for three things. If you want to write it down, you can. As I was praying this morning, God, what, what, what could I lead us to pray for is that his voice would be loud, his presence would be close, and the refreshing would be deep. That his voice would be loud in a time of pulling away and listening. That his presence would be close. That his refreshing would be deep. And so for those of you like, ah, I don't need to set an alarm, I'll remember. Well, we'll see. Um, if you're like me, you know better. Because <laughs> I, you know, I, even when I set an alarm to get up and go to the gym, well, clearly some alarms don't work. Um, but this is one that I love to encourage us to engage in as we love our past. Pastor Craig and Shannon, we love you so much. Me and my wife, Katie, would not be who we are or where we are without you. Uh, we love you. We're going to miss you. Uh, but we're looking forward to partying when you get back as well. Yeah, we can clap. That's, that's an appropriate time. Yeah, <laughs> clap. Um, before we get into today, I want to kind of set an expectation. If you were here a few weeks ago, um, there's a, a little something my brother actually read from a guy in our, our city, a mentor a lot, called Daryl, I named Daryl Johnson. Whether you're online or whether you're in person, wherever you are today, whether this is your home or for the first time, I think it's important to set an expectation when we come to moments like this where we look at the Bible um, because you can miss an opportunity in front of you. And I love what Daryl Johnson says in his book, The Glory of Preaching. He says, whenever a human being, Bible in hand or computer, <laughs> stands up before other human beings, and invites the gathered assembly into a particular text in the Bible and as faithfully as possible tries to say again what the living God is saying in the text. Something always happens. Something transformative. Something empowering. Something life-giving happens. As we look to the Bible today, let us set our hearts and our expectations on that. 
That as we read, if something challenges you, let your own convictions bend, not the word of the Lord, of his word. And in that heart and in that expectation, we're going to read our text today. Out of John 20, and it's going to be 118, so we're going to do a bit of reading. We can do this. I believe in you. It'll be on the Sky Bible for those who didn't bring their Bible as well. It says, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. We went over this last week for Easter and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon and Peter, the other disciples. The one whom Jesus loved, uh, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, humble brag, because it was John and he's writing this book. Uh, but they did not go in. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was lying, uh, was not lying with the linen clothes, but folded into place by itself. And the word there for saw is not just noticed, but it's actually contemplative thought. We see that Peter's trying to make sense of what just happened here. This is unusual. What he sees doesn't make sense, but it's inquisitive towards him. Says then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, another humble brag, uh, also went in and he saw and he believed. Not necessarily believed in Jesus. Most scholars understand that they believed that they'd taken the body. He saw, okay, Jesus is not here. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. It's kind of the context of what we're looking at, but then we zoom in a little bit on a woman named Mary. So Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She went, she wept. She stood, or stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where their body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, she didn't know. Jesus said to a woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Or if you're Italian, Rabbanai, uh, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. Loving Father, we thank you for your word that performs every time we come to it. And God, as we begin this series on encounters with Jesus, Lord, our, our desire is not an intellectual ascent, more knowledge. God, our desire is an encounter with you afresh, with the risen Christ. So God, we pray that you would do that for us today. Lord, would you open our eyes to see what is right in front of us and who you are. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next eight weeks, we'll take one week off from Mother's Day. Uh, we're going to do a seven-week series on something called Encountering Jesus. You see, last week, North America celebrated Easter. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone in North America. Uh, oh, camera person today, Claudia, behind the camera. Come on, give a hand to Claudia. Come on. Um, I'm going to be moving today. I'm sorry. Um, but the whole North America, and in some countries, maybe not. But if you ask anyone about Easter, they have knowledge of what it's about. Most people that I've ever met, at least, they would understand, oh, Easter, that's, you know, the Christians, they celebrate that Jesus died. Whole, whole, everyone I've talked to understands why we celebrated Easter, why they had a long weekend, more than just bunnies and eggs and, and an extra holiday. Yet knowledge about a fact, a, a, an incident that took place in history has not led to all of North America being transformed by the power of Jesus. Take it a step further. I know people, myself included, that for years can attend church services. Enjoy the presence of God in the group crowd setting. Yet absolutely leave unchanged and untransformed. Because they've only received of the goodness of kind of what God has done. But they've yet to have a personal encounter with him. I think of the times where Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Sometimes we find ourselves just in the crowd. We maybe have a little bit of knowledge of what happened and we're really glad to receive some bread and, and some lunch. And it was this wow moment, but we walk away pretty much the same. Our faith no longer, not anymore stirred. Our stomachs may be full. But I often think what that little boy walked away with. Because while others were in the crowd and maybe received there was a little boy that had an encounter with Jesus that had to put his trust and his faith in him. There was a step and he saw and encountered. He understood the details. He packed that lunch and then he saw it multiplied. The effects of that personal encounter was so much deeper for that young boy than it was the rest of the crowd that got the benefit of a free lunch. Man, when I think of the last two years, when I think of North American church, when I think of the 84,000 high school students in the city of Surrey, can't help but think there is a desperate need first and foremost for his church to have a fresh encounter with him. And from there, the people of our city need desperately to encounter Jesus. So what we're gonna do, I'm really excited for, we're gonna look at some beautiful accounts in the gospel where Jesus goes from the crowd to the individual. We learn things about Jesus in these personal encounters that we can't other ways. He reveals a little bit of who he is in some beautiful ways. It's going to be exciting. But I thought not only because Easter was last week, but I thought it'd be appropriate to look at the very first Christian account. What we just read, I didn't really kind of grasp this till I'm like, okay, what, what makes a Christian someone who encounters the risen Jesus and puts their faith in him? We see that Mary Magdalene was the first Christian, the first person to encounter the risen Christ. And I think the need, why we need to look at these encounters, because if we don't personally encounter Jesus, this is my hypothesis that I would submit to you today that when we don't personally encounter Jesus, we will make him in our own image. 
when we fail to encounter the risen Christ and allow him to reveal who we are, we are destined to make Jesus in our own image. We lessen him. We make a God that we can understand. We put him inside of our mental capacity, inside of our experiences. We know all about him, but we minimize him to a God that we can create. And we see this beautiful story of the first Christian encounter with Jesus. We see some lessons that we can learn, and we're going to look at those today. And the first lesson that we see in this encounter that we read in John chapter 20 is that an encounter with Jesus confronts the Jesus that we have made. Verse 14 says, having said this, she turned and saw Jesus. When we read this standing there, he saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You know, it's interesting to me. There was one of those things. Each Easter, I feel like the Lord reveals a little bit something more deeper in the story of the crucifixion. And and whenever you ever read the Bible and you're like, okay, well, they didn't get it, but we're, you know, we, we're hindsight. We're 2,000 years hindsight now. We understand that when that prophetic, you know, hey, you know, the, this there and Isaiah here, and that meant Jesus because we have the interpretation now. But, you know, it would have been hard for them to understand it. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Did they take him literally? Did they not? I'm not sure. Like, maybe they didn't know. But as I began to read the account, yes, there were some obscure prophecies that pointed to Jesus. But then there was times where he says, I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Like pretty clear. It was so clear that Jesus' enemies knew about it and created a plan to prevent it. Because they had heard about this. Was, hey, the, the, the followers, they're going to try and do it, so let's seal the tomb and tie it. Let's put soldiers in front of it. Like they knew that Jesus made this claim. Yet you have these disciples and Peter and John and Mary coming to the tomb. They should have been running the tomb saying, did it happen? Did it happen? But we realize that we can be around Jesus, but we can miss him. We see that Mary wasn't looking for a living Jesus because she was going back to the last place she had saw him. In Matthew, we see that Mary was one of the few that laid him in the tomb. And as humans, we have this propensity to miss Jesus in front of us because we're looking for the wrong Jesus. Mary was looking for a body, not a risen Savior. She was looking for the deliverer that cast the demons out of her to pay some respect to his life. She was looking for her teacher that she had sat with. She was looking for her friend. She had an expectation, but a risen Christ was not one of them. That was impossible. Even in the Jewish thought process and the Greek thought process and the Roman, that yes, there were some miracles, but three days dead, that was impossible. We see that Peter, that word saw that I mentioned in the Greek, he's looking and going, hold on, if they took him, why would they unwrap all the linens? It wouldn't be there. 
And if they tried to do it in a leap there, why would they take the head wrapping off and fold it there? This doesn't make sense. But he still, after hearing Jesus say this is going to happen, he couldn't come to the conclusion. Because the experiences they had with Jesus in their limited understanding, they had thought that is all there is to Jesus. And in doing so, created a Jesus in their image. And as they did that, they missed the Jesus right in front of them. You see, Mary could not recognize Jesus. She just came to the tomb looking for the wrong Jesus. See, we could gang up on Mary and be like, silly girl, you should have known You see, this is actually part of human nature. We see that in Genesis, at the very beginning, it says God created us in his image and his likeness. But then as we continue to read the narrative and the story, we see that sin came in and it fractured relationship with God and it corrupted us. And since that time, we have been hell-bent quite literally at trying to create God in our image. It's not just that we have his image, it's his likeness. Do you know that when Jesus created us, he said, all the other animals he created, but this, 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 these humans, I'm going to create them in my image, in my likeness, and breathe his breath into them. It means that you and I have the God-like ability to think, to imagine, to create, to build, albeit limited, albeit marred because of sin. And all throughout biblical history, we see humans have constantly been trying to take that God-likeness in us to create our own image, to get our own way to heaven. We see it in the Tower of Babel. They get together. We can do it with our own creativity. We can make a God. We can reach to heaven. My goodness, Moses gets this on the Mount of Zion. The first two commandments, it says, have no other God before me and don't worship images that you make with your own hands. Ironic that as he says it, they're doing it. Why do we do this? Fast forward, the Jews did this. They knew of the Jews that crucified Jesus had the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures memorized. They could tell you every single passage about the Messiah, but they had created an image. They had imagined, they saw it being fulfilled a certain way. And then when encountering the real Messiah, they did not accept him. They hated him because it confronted them. It challenged their view of the Messiah. They could not accept it. They murdered him instead because it challenged the Jesus that they had made, the Messiah that they had made, the God they had made in their own image. And friends, we're no different. For those of you who know me and Katie's story, when we decided to start having a family, it was a bit of a rough go. Struggled with infertility for a couple years, and then we got pregnant, and kind of midway into the pregnancy, a couple, couple months in, we, we lost the baby. I remember going through that pain, those confusions, those questions of God, why? And if I, unbeknownst to me, and kind of unaware, I began to create a God in my own image because I was hurt, because I couldn't quite make sense of verses of him being a healer. So I created a theology of God being good, of God being sovereign, but I tend to skim over the God who's a healer because that didn't line up with my experience. 
I want a God who's a deliverer and the social justice Jesus who threw off all of this. So we think that Jesus' sole purpose was to come and just to remove physical on this earth slavery and to, to uh, oppression and those things. And we, we, we lean into that. We read into any verse to see the Jesus that we desire, the Jesus that we need. And there's nothing wrong with seeing aspects of Jesus, but when we limit his whole to being one aspect of who he is, we created Jesus in our own image. The last two years have been a master class at how to create a Jesus in our own image that lines up with our political opinions. Anytime you read the scripture looking to buttress your own opinion, you're in danger of making your own idol. If it's been a while since you read scripture and it cuts you to the heart and saying, oh God, would you please forgive me? You're, it may be a symptom that you've created Jesus in your own image. When it's everyone else who needs to change, you may be worshiping an idol of Jesus, not him. See, the Bible has 198 titles for Jesus. And so often we just settle for our own experience. People in the crowd could have just thought Jesus was a chef because he gave them lunch. Mary thought he was a deliverer, a teacher, and a close friend because that was her experience up until that point. Friends, I'm nervous when I read the Bible and I think that I have it all figured out. The question today is not, have you created Jesus in your own image? It is, where in your life have you? Because if you're sucking air in this room or you're watching online, you have. It's not a question. See, Mary was sitting right in front of the risen Savior and missed him. And the reason we're going to spend time over the next seven weeks is to look at a few aspects, a few personal encounters that we might grasp a little bit more of how amazing and how beautiful Jesus truly is. And what I love about reading stories in the gospel of Jesus, it's not just a historical retelling. As I engage with the living word of God, I too have the opportunity to personally encounter the presence and spirit of Jesus myself. When we encounter Jesus personally, oh, it confronts the Jesus that we make every day. I love these encounters we're going to look at. There's people with big questions, people with hurt, people with disappointments, people with preconceived notions, titles and labels that they put on Jesus ahead of time. And Jesus doesn't berate them. We see that he's loving yet stern, and he brings a correction to who they are. And every single person that encounters Jesus is left with the question, what will you do with this encounter? They're left different. The choice is up to them. The choice is up to us as what that difference will be. Will it be rejecting this Jesus we've seen because he doesn't fit nicely into the box that we've created for him? Or will we leave changed, our understanding broadened, our relationship deeper? And I love that it is not just about knowing more than Jesus because, yes, it confronts the Jesus we've made, but encounters with Jesus are also, also deeply relational. 
I love this about Jesus. When we read this passage, we see it written all over him. He says, Jesus said to her woman, why are you weeping? He cared. Whom are you seeking? Jesus could have said, hey, Mary, hello. Remember when I said it? Hi, I'm back. Like, no, he doesn't come to berate her or make fun of her. He begins to gently ask questions. Not because he lacked the answer, but because he needed to gently lead her to a place where she could understand. And he begins to ask her some questions. And then finally he just stops. And he says, Mary, I don't know if it was the tone. I don't know if it's the way that he said it. Did he show her his scars? Whatever happened in this moment, the Jesus that Mary had created in her mind with its limitations, I saw the spear. I was part of wrapping your body. I laid you in the tomb. But this Jesus is beyond anything that she could comprehend, and it clicks. Friends, we need to understand when it comes to an encounter with Jesus, we are no different than Peter and John. We are no different than Mary. If you think with your own wisdom and your own smarts, with my own study and all the books that I can read, that I can encounter Jesus on my own, you need to understand that's impossible. But Jesus loves you and I so much where he doesn't leave us with misunderstandings. He sends his Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. To whisper into our hearts, into our spirits, be it through a relationship, be it through worship, be it through a moment, through a healing, through a mentor, through reading your Bible, sitting with the living word of God, where you read a story you've read multiple times. But in that moment, Jesus whispers, Daniel, and your eyes are open. Joash. And it's like, oh God, I, I didn't see this before. And you allow your understanding to change. Or you come with frustration say, God, I don't understand why they died or the healing happened or, or this going on in my family or my marriage, what's going on? And we don't get frustrated. We say, God, we need to make you fit. We need to make this make sense. We press pause on our limited understanding. We say, Jesus, show me where you are. My frustrations don't create my theology. We see that this is actually the case with Paul. His physical blindness on the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus and he physically goes blind, which is a beautiful picture of his spiritual blindness. His pharisaical training gave him all of the information. But until Jesus came personally and says, Paul, and his physical blindness represents the spiritual blindness. And I love that the, the vehicle to which that healing physically came was a man named Ananias in relationship. And the words he said to the man that had the power to put him in prison was brother Saul. We see, friends, that Jesus doesn't come to smack us upside of the head. That Jesus doesn't come to yell at us when we make him in our own image. He comes close. He whispers to our spirit. 
And he begins to reveal the word of God to us, to reveal himself. Romans 5 says that the job of the Holy Spirit is to pour the love of Jesus into our hearts. We see that this happens, even the disciples after. It's like, when you read it, it says, oh, and after the resurrection, everything that Jesus had said, all of a sudden, light bulb moment, right? It began to make sense to two guys that are walking away from Jerusalem. Says, didn't our hearts burn within us? See, I love it when the word of God, things we've heard in the Bible, the words Jesus has spoken can be there, but it takes the Holy Spirit quickening to make it come alive. It takes the rhema word of God where we don't come with our agenda. We don't come with our opinions. We don't come to buttress our stance in an argument. We come open to say, Jesus, I understand that I don't fully get you yet. Whether you follow Jesus for a week or five decades, when we open the Bible, say, Jesus, I get that I don't know you yet. I'm trying and I'm learning. Would you reveal yourself to me? We see that the idols that we create get torn down and we have an openness and an opportunity to encounter the real living Jesus. I was talking to my father-in-law this weekend as we were going over just the message as I tend to do. and I said, Dad, I got a fear. He goes, just one? (laughs) Yeah. My fear is that in today's culture where technology and all the information is right there, we have so many theologians' life work. And we do a quick Google search and take the paragraph that took them 50 years and we look at it and think we got it in 50 seconds. When it comes to Jesus, we're looking for cliff notes. We need a quick in and out. Great, I understand it. Because if I could just gain enough information, I got it from here. I think of men like a Dallas Willard. I think of men like a Chesterton, like an A.W. Tozer, like a C.S. Lewis, that for generations, for decades, sat and wrestled and processed in deep personal relationship with Jesus without hurry, without agenda. And the fear in my heart is that I would be so quick to perform for Jesus that I would grasp little nuggets from his word to preach or to teach or maybe to encourage myself rather than taking the time to sit and allow it to shape my perspective. When's the last time you wrestled with a passage for a week? for a year, for a decade, and you allowed it to shape you deeply. I love this exercise Timothy Keller was reading when he first got saved. He was at this conference, and they gave him one simple verse out of John 10. He said, read the verse, and I want you for half an hour to sit and write out all the things you get out, everything you can grasp. He said, and after the first five minutes, when you think you've got everything, keep going. He said after the first 10 minutes, he thought he had everything. Yeah, it's it's one verse, not a whole lot. He says as he began to sit with it, he began to see things in this passage, see things in this one verse that he never saw. And the Lord began to pull back the curtain and show him where he created God in his own image and began to shape and reveal himself in this personal encounter. This room full of pastors, 
said, hey, who, who of you got your most significant thought from this verse in the first five minutes? Not a hand went up. What about the first 10 minutes? Not a hand. 15 minutes and on, and every hand in the room went up. Sometimes I can barely make 30 minutes to read the Bible, let alone to sit with one verse and allow Holy Spirit to speak. If that's new to you, the next time we do Hearing God, you got to take it. It's a course that we do, and I'll shamelessly plug it because it radically transformed my ability to sit with Scripture, to hear Jesus speak to me, to have his word transform me. As the band comes up, the last thought. It's that an encounter with Jesus will always cause us to go. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and say to, or but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God, your God. See, in this moment, Mary realizes that it's Jesus. And she says, teacher. And apparently goes in for a hug. And it's interesting to me that Jesus stops her. Again, if you only look at what he says, hey, don't stop the I mean, Jesus comes, we think that, oh, we just hold on to Jesus where it is. But then we see another situation in the Gospels where Jesus stops and says, hey, don't cling to me. And I think he's saying a few things here. He's not only saying, hey, I got some stuff to do. He says, Mary, you thought you lost me. And now you have me back. And your heart is, I'm never going to lose you again, Jesus. And she's remembering the encounters that she had. She says, finally, we can have it again. We don't need, I'm never going to let you go, Jesus. And he says, stop. Because you knew me as deliverer. You knew me as teacher. You knew me as friend. But I am now your savior. There's, a, there's more that I need to do. I have not yet ascended to the Father. And we see in this the human tendency to want to go back to the places, to the spaces, to the songs, to the style of church, to the style of preaching, where we had a significant encounter with Jesus. And we incorrectly think, if we could just reproduce that encounter, I can keep it. But we don't have a Jesus who's stagnant, he's moving and he's living friends. There's a deep, deep desire in my heart to see revival in our day and our age, that my children would grow up to see the move of God like I never have. But I can tell you it's not going to look like it did before. Jesus says, don't cling to me because there's more. Don't cling. I know you like those songs. I know I like a certain style of worship and I, I encounter Jesus a specific way. That made it. Don't cling to me. But we used to do church this way and groups used to be that. And then, hey, hey, don't cling to me because there's more. Jesus says, Mary, I, you need to broaden your understanding of me because right now you see one perspective and that's all you want, but there's more. There's a, a proverb and it goes, there's an elephant in a room and there's multiple blind people that come up and they say, hey, we're going to, you're going to encounter an elephant. So they begin to feel what it is and one person ends up at the trunk and 
said, oh, wow, as long as, man, elephants are just like snakes. And the other person finds himself at a leg and they're like, wow, this thing is huge. Man, elephants are like trees. This is incredible. And another person goes and gets whipped in the face with the tail and like, ugh, elephants stink. And they're like a broom. The other goes and they hit the stomach and they go, my goodness, elephants are tall and they're wide like a wall. And yet another one grabs the tusk and it's smooth and it's strong. He goes, man, elephants are like a spear. And if any one of them limited themselves to their sole perspective, they would have an incorrect view of the totality of what an elephant is. But yes, us as Christians all of the time, because we have hurry sickness in our culture and in our hearts, we encounter Jesus quickly. And we have a certain image of him that we want to encounter. And we don't stop to realize that the purpose is deep relationship. We don't allow ourselves to explore the other aspects of Jesus, not looking to convince myself or anyone else that it's a tree, but to say, God, my experience has been a tree, but oh my goodness, you're also a wall. And Jesus, you're my savior, but oh, you're also my Lord and you're my healer, but you're also sovereign and you bring healing here on this earth, but there is also an eternity that is very real. And yes, you are full of love. This is an undeserved love and grace that's incredible, but you're also full of truth and justice and you don't change even though the times change. And we allow ourselves to encounter Jesus, not the way we want, but for who he truly is. Friends, we desperately need a fresh encounter with Jesus. I got three simple steps for you. This is your homework for today. Number one, this week, I want you to find some time and be bold enough to ask this simple question. Jesus, how have I made you in my image? And your tendency to justify, to find a proof text verse that supports or buttresses your opinion. I want you to hesitate, just stop that for a second. And give 20, 30 minutes. Say, Lord, I'm open. Would you speak to me? What a powerful prayer. Second, I want you to sit with it for 30. I want you just to try this. Somewhere in your devotions this week, if a verse stands out to you, do that, but then write out that verse and then set the timer and sit with it for 30 minutes and write out everything that you see, every angle, every aspect of Jesus that you're seeing and allow him to expand your perspective and your understanding of him. And lastly, I want you to commit to the next eight weeks. That may sound silly. Well, of course we come to church. Life's busy. There's other priorities, but I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to plead with you to commit 
cancel whatever you need to cancel for the next seven weeks, eight weeks to encounter Jesus afresh. If you're fighting with your spouse, come angry. Jesus will take you. If you're hurting, come broken. Jesus will take you. If you're hungry, stop by McDonald's, get a breakfast sandwich and come full or come hungry. I want you to remove the excuses that we give ourselves. That's pushed back at the culture of convenience and apathy because there's a desperate need for the church of Christ to see Jesus in a new and a fresh and a more complete way, friends. We desperately need a fresh, personal encounter with Jesus. One that tears down the Jesus that we have made in our own image. Let me pray and then I'll send it to the post show. Jesus, you're so gracious. Lord, we thank you for your patience. God, when, when our sinful tendency is to create a God that makes sense, when our frustrations lead us to create a theology that finally works based on our circumstances. God, when the hurt, the pain, the desire, whatever it is, Lord, leads us to create gods lesser than you in our own hands, in our own thoughts, in our own imagination. God, I thank you that you come relationally. You come close. You just begin to whisper our name to us. You begin to reveal who you are, that we might encounter the true living Jesus. For this week, God, and for those bold enough to ask the question, where have I made you in my own image? God, I pray that your voice would be loud. For those willing to carve out and make time to sit with it for 30, God, I pray that your presence would be close. And Lord, as we commit to the next eight weeks of looking at different stories, personal encounters with you in the Gospels, God, I pray that you would refresh us and renew our understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.